If I were to say, picture a cult, what kind of image do you get in your mind? Hooded figures around a blood-stained altar? A forest commune of hippie types practicing free love? Or a large, identically dressed congregation being led in a mass ceremony? What if I brought you an expert who was part of a cult for over 20 years and still lived his life from his own home just like any other normal person? Because I did. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host, as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Peter Young. Peter lived his life as a sports broadcaster, covering events far and wide on TV screens and radio programs regularly, all while slowly being drugged into the dark bowels of a cult by the person he loved most in the world. Obviously, he's made his escape since then, but it was far from easy or clean. Let's avoid getting indoctrinated. Welcome to the show, Peter Young. Golden, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Why don't you give a little introduction for the audience? Sure. Born and raised in New Jersey, and I tell people that I wanted to be the next Larry Bird and played basketball in college, but you know was not the next Larry Bird, and then uh, got into coaching basketball at the high school and college level, was going to be the next John Wooden. That did not happen. And then uh, got into sports broadcasting, was going to be the next Bob Costas, that did not happen, but I did have a nice run as a broadcaster, traveled the world, called a lot of uh, sports, you know, including a lot of uh, college basketball and football, but track and rodeo and lumberjack, and rock climbing and sailing, all these, you know, like non-traditional sports. And um, then I uh, was also, you know, married into a little tiny religious cult, which is probably why I'm on your show, because of my experience with that, which was is Fascinating and bizarre, uh, at times tragic, but also at times victorious because I came out of it. And that has landed me now here in Montana. And it's certainly, you have two very unique experiences that could both have episodes on the show where it's like, you know, sports broadcasting is very, very interesting on its own. But yeah, you really like drew me in with this. I was part of and escaped a religious cult. And I'm like, okay, that's immediately fascinating. So, like, how did all of this begin? Like, where does it start? Sure. So, you got to go back to the mid 90s. I'm in Pocatello, Idaho, doing the six and 10 sports, you know, for the local ABC affiliate. And there was a girl in town, uh, my future wife, Paige, tall, gorgeous, long blonde hair. I knew of her, hadn't met her yet. And we finally met her at a singles Bible study. And they went about a week or two into dating. I was 90% sure I wanted to marry this woman. She checked all the boxes. We were in love. I was in love. But I needed to meet her father and her uncle, Robert, because she talked about him all the time. And I had actually heard of this uncle, Robert. He was described as a family guru by a friend of ours before I even met Paige. So I, I kind of knew there was something odd. So I met the father around Thanksgiving. We'd been dating about a month. And he was a little odd, seemed like a nice enough guy. Although at my first visit... Uh, I went to uh, go use the bathroom down the hall. I'm a guy, so I stood up to pee and 
I finished, I flushed, I washed my hand. And as soon as I opened the door, he's standing right there in the doorway. And uh, he says, in our household, the men sit to pee because it you know, keeps the toilet clean and prevents splashing. And it's kind of weird because he was listening to me pee. And then he said something I heard Golden dozens of times over the next 20 years, Uncle Robert taught us that. So that was my first interaction with Paige's, you know, father, my future father-in-law. Met Uncle Robert, who again is not related at all. Uh, but met him a few months later at a wedding. And then three months later, Paige and I got married. And that's how it started. And it didn't really kind of take over our lives for many years down the road. Um but, you know, I'm, you can't see me, I'm six foot five, typical Northern European looks, so was Paige, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uncle Robert, born and raised in Syria. He's about five, six, short guy, olive complexion, bulbous nose, jet black hair, bald. But he had kind of glommed on to Paige's parents when they met at a seminary in Fresno, California, before Paige was even born. So he was always around her family. And I feel like we all have that person. Like I have one in my life where I'm like, oh yeah, that's uncle Jim. And you're like, oh, is he like your dad or your mother's brother? And I'm like, uh, neither. He's just kind of always been around. So I guess when you hear those things, you're like, oh yeah, I guess, you know, family friend. And they just call him uncle. And then, you know, you start to have some weird interactions, I guess, where you're like, oh, who, who exactly is this to you? And why do you refer to him as a guru? So, you know, Colton, it's interesting because, yes, you know, there are families will have a guy like that or maybe even a gal. But to me, it's usually a guy. And sometimes they are fairly, let's say, harmless, right? Uh, clearly, in our case, that was not the case. He was not harmless. He was called Uncle Robert because Paige's parents, when they were children, you know, would require the kids to call people Uncle this or Aunt that as a sign of respect. With Uncle Robert, it just stuck. So we always called him that. And from the outside, you know, you would sit down with him over a cup of coffee if you first met him. And he's charismatic. He's odd. But, you know, it takes a while before you realize, well, the guy's a crackpot. You wouldn't get that right away. Um, and in my case, it, it, took, it took a while until I finally realized he was. That's kind of one of those things we always hear when people talk about, like, cults or cult leaders or, you know, figureheads in any capacities. They're like, oh, they're just so charismatic you kind of overlook the weird stuff just because they seem to have a way with people. So if you and I, or let's say anybody listening were to go just Google small religious cult, cult leader, small cult, that kind of thing, you know, you'll get a million hits on Google and, but many of them, and you'll have all these separate articles, you know, the, the five signs, the 10 signs, but they all have what I would believe is a few foundational things in common, which would be, you know, they, there's a cult leader, and usually he, but he or she uh, is very charismatic, very narcissistic, has a grandiose sense of self, makes all the rules, but they don't apply to him or her. And then also acts as a gatekeeper to God, whatever religion that he is leading or these people are, believe in. And Uncle Robert checked all those boxes. And I remember, you know, fast forward 20 years later, you know, when, when Paige left me, my, my life like imploded and I you know realized what was going on. I still found it hard to think, well, gee, was it really a cult? And then I did my research, you know, and then I read books on cults and, and you know, then I'd underline half the book. Yep, it was a cult. And yep, he was narcissistic and again, checked all those boxes. So was he kind of that, like the stereotypical image where they're like, this is 
the peak person in our community or setting or whatever it is where it's like he is unquestionable have to see him as perfect yeah you you know you're not supposed to ask questions hard questions of a cult leader <clears throat> and and I often did that kind of what got me in hot trouble hot water with my wife see I I went along to get along I love my wife I love being married I love my family and I realized very early on that he occupied a very special place in her life. I mean, I knew that right away, but I didn't realize how much so. So I, I knew he wasn't going away. And I knew if I questioned him too much, my marriage would be in trouble. And so again, just like the, you know, the frog in the hot water, I was in a very difficult spot. And uh, so over the years, it just kept getting worse and worse. Let me give you a little anecdote. You know, I call myself... I, I don't call myself, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm not, you know, Methodist, Baptist, or Presbyterian, all that. I don't, not big into denominations, nor were we. And Uncle Robert would claim to be a Christian as well. But, you know, when you talk about like the, the leader being, you know, perfect, he used to tell this story. He grew up in Syria. And when he was a young boy, he had a slingshot. And his father had told him how to use it and given him rules. And one day he's throwing the slingshot and he kind of disobeyed his father, didn't really know where he was looking at or throwing it. And it goes over the little crest of a hill, and sure enough, a little lamb is walking towards it. He pokes his head up, and boom, the rock hits the lamb and, you know, kills it instantly. And he would tell the story, and we would all, you know, have like hushed, and a, a pall would come over the room, and it was somber, and, you know, this incredible moment, like, you know, Pearl Harbor, 9-11. And he claimed that was the only time in his life he ever sinned. So he would constantly through guilt, control us. That's what cults often do is they control through guilt and shame. You know, he, everything we did was, you know, pushed out in the open about how horrible we were. And yeah, he claimed he sinned once in his life as a boy. Hmm. And, and we believed like, him. <laughs> you're like, you can't ask any questions about it. So, nope. okay. And was this kind of like, did this cult have a religious base where it's like, it was, you know, quote unquote Christian but with the Uncle Robert spin on things. Yes, very well put. Uh, um, we were Christian, and uh, Uncle Robert, um, you know, actually did go to this, you know, seminary where he met uh, Jack, Paige's father. Jack actually did not, they saw early on he had issues, so they did not give him a degree. They did Robert Booty, is his name. Um, but he never had a church that I knew of. We never went to church either because all the churches were wrong and only he knew the true gospel. So, of course, we, by sitting, you know, at the foot of the master and learning from him, would hear the true gospel. Now, there were certain things that, yeah, I, like, again, the Bible talks about it as in the wolf doesn't get close to the sheepfold. The wolf in sheep's clothing does. So, in other words, Uncle Robert or other cult leaders don't immediately, you know, try and convince you cult to, to follow him by spouting utter nonsense and lies. They will sound very intelligent and wise at first. And then over time, things change. So the metaphor I give is, let's say you hit a golf ball, but you miss hit it by a quarter of an inch. Well, 100 yards down the fairway, it's going to be way off to the left or way off to the right. So Uncle Robert would tee up the right golf ball, so to speak. He would read from the Bible, right? But he had a unique and perverse way of taking each and every verse, a chapter, and giving it his own spin. So that 5, 10, 15 years down the road, we're way off of the gospel. But it's been slow and subtle. So, of course, he's only sinned once, right? And he he's more wise and he knows. So we would follow him. And, of course, then my wife and my in-laws, they would follow unquestioningly. 
but I would always question. And then rarely did I get an answer that would help. It was always, you know, cult leaders will confuse you. And then when you ask questions and they mock you and impugn you for asking too many questions. And so that was kind of like the apparent difference from the outside would be none is you're like, oh, it's just a, a Christian community. But from the inside, if you were there for long enough, as you're like, oh, well, you know, I see the way that you're reading whatever this verse or chapter, but, you know, let me tell you how it should be written or how it's supposed to be written. And people are like, that's weird. I've never heard that. But because it's one small thing, you don't really like put that as a major Jenga block in the tower. You know, um, cults come in all shapes and sizes, right? You know, big cults, small cults. And, you know, we did not shave our heads, you know, wear funny looking costumes, live in a commune where everyone's having sex with each other. We didn't, you know, commit suicide. But I always say we did drink the Kool-Aid. And so at its foundation, cults are always about mind control, no matter what else is going on, on the outside and the exterior. And that is exactly, you know, the, the focus of our little cult was this mind control. So, yeah, you know, you would see me, you would see my wife, you would see Uncle Robert and all of us, and and you wouldn't really know. So when all of this came out, because, you know, again, cults operate on secrecy and paranoia. So I didn't tell hardly anybody what was going on. My family, the greater young family, my parents, my brothers and their wives, all knew about Uncle Robert. They kind of thought it was weird, but they lived far away. We lived in Idaho and Montana, so they didn't know. So then after I wrote my book, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, you know, many local friends would be like, I'm so sorry. We had no idea. We lived right down the road. And I'm like, that's okay. Nobody knew, right? Like nobody knew. The only real sign would be we kept leaving church after church. You know, we'd go to a church, Methodist, Baptist, whatever it was. And, you know, Paige would be on the phone with Uncle Robert. You know, here's what the pastor said. And, oh, you know, he's a fool. You can't go to that church anymore. So we kept leaving churches. So finally, we would just on Sunday sit at our house and either not go anywhere or talk to him on the phone. Yeah. And that's very you know, interesting because I think people do have kind of a specific image, you know, when they think of a cult and it is that very like, oh, it's a communal life and you live and you work on this communal setting. But, you know, you guys didn't do any of that. Like you lived in your own place. You had your own job that was actually fairly public facing and just had a generally normal life that was in one aspect influenced by this man. Well, and his influence, though, Colton, really spread into every single thing that we did. I again witnessed the story of, you know, he told us how to pee, right? Uh, and I could list, you know, on and on and on, you know, how to load the dishwasher property, how to put the lid back on the yogurt container. I mean, how to believe, where to believe, where to go, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, he lived in Southern California and did not have a job. His wife was the one that had the good job and, and you know, provided for the family. We lived again in, you know, in Montana and Idaho, but he was always there as a presence um, and so even though we did not live together, I can tell you that I was probably only brainwashed fully for maybe two and a half, three years. For many years, I really doubted him and didn't want anything to do with him. And then slowly, the, you know, the, the tide shifted and I would see some of the things that Paige saw in him, oh, a wise man. You know, I learned about the constitution and U.S. history and economics and banking and all that. Some of it was good. Some of it was crazy, but, um, I know for me, you know, I'm not the expert on all cults, but for those last few years, I doubted my every single thought and word that came out of my mouth. Every single thing that I did or thought about over those last few years of being under his thumb, um, 
I had to be approved by him in my mind. I thought that's what I needed because I had been so beaten down and worn out and eroded uh, and humiliated that, yeah, I, I doubted everything. So even though we weren't living like right in the same building, he still had this incredible control and he lived a thousand miles away. And yet he controlled every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And was that like the escalation was just always kind of this small, like nitpicking at everything you do saying it could be better. Like you're doing the wrong thing. Was it just like that little stuff for, you know, a decade, two decades, like just this long kind of drawn out event? Yes and no. It, it, it was, um, I would say this though, for me, you know, I would have never been uh, involved in this cult. And again, I, I always remind people too, number one, no one ever joins a cult. They don't say, I'm going to join a cult. They join something, they have no idea what they're joining. Um, and then I also tell people, you never know you are in a cult. You only know you were in one. Because again, cults at their foundational level are about mind control. So the moment you can say to yourself rationally, oh, I'm in a cult, the mind control has started to slip, right? You got that? Okay. So, um, I, you know, I never planned on joining. I went along to get along with my wife. And then slowly but surely, like, oh, my gosh, they're here. I'm trapped in it. So then, oh, it's not a cult, right? No, it's just Uncle Robert. One of the key points, though, early on was after 9-11. So we're married three, four years, maybe. We got married in 97. And listen, I grew up in northern New Jersey. So I had high school classmates in the buildings. I had a classmate widowed on 9-11. I remember flying, because I was a broadcaster at the time, four or five days before 9-11, flew out of the tiny airport in Pierce, South Dakota, and we didn't even go through a metal detector. <laughs> Shows how much life has changed. Anyway, shortly after 9-11, see, we would have these conferences where Uncle Robert would come up to Idaho and we would all gather around, you know, Paige's parents' living room and listen to him talk for hours. And he started talking about 9-11 and how 80,000 people died on 9-11 and President Roosevelt was a Jew and Truman was a Jew. And it was this vitriol and hatred. And I finally learned, oh, he's a raving anti-Semite. And that was one of his main theological themes was that, you know, every war, recession, depression, you know, bank usury, bank runs, et cetera, was a ploy or a Jewish conspiracy to control the world. So then, of course, for the next few years, you know, I'm asking all these questions about it, like, Really? But I remember that night when I heard him say this, I had told Paige, you know, I, this guy's scary. I don't think we should have anything to do with him. She listened. She was concerned. And it, nothing ever came of it. And I never pursued it. And I should have. But that was probably the first big red flag. There were others. But I, um, for whatever reason, too weak, uh, was, you know, desperately, you know, wanting to have a strong marriage or whatever, I did not you know, do what I should have done. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, or it can be. There's the potential. It's not always guaranteed. And I look back, well, what if I had done this in 97? What if I had done that in 2001? What if I had not done this in 2015? I can go back to all these hallmark moments. And, and what I really know now is that as long as Uncle Robert had that place in Paige's life, our marriage was doomed. And was there, you know, things were like you said, things were good for a long time where you're marrying this person that you absolutely love that you just, you know, happened to find uh, out of some amazing coincidences. Like you ran across her and you married her and you have kids and things are going well. There's, you know, this weird entity, but things are going well. Was there like a turning point where things are abruptly, everything has shifted 
it's changed. Things are now like not good. Yes. So, uh, you know, the story of how we met, uh, and it also goes into the title of the book is, is fascinating. I'll just, can I go into that real quick? Absolutely, yeah. So we, we met at a singles Bible study, which is, that's why guys go to singles Bible studies, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, we met there and, you know, and I hadn't met her, but I knew who she was, you know, I, I walk into the room, there she is. And she smiles at me. Like we've known each other for years. It was amazing. And then the next week she shows up to the singles Bible study with a guy, oh, like stick a knife in my heart and twist it. But they didn't act like boyfriend, girlfriend. Well, again, we started dating within the week. Um, but about a month after we started dating, she shares with me this letter, 24 page letter written by uncle Robert. Again, I'd heard about uncle Robert. Who is this weird guy? Okay. About a couple months before I married, before I met Paige, she had been baptized there in Pocatello. So when you get baptized, you publicly profess your faith in Christ, right? It's Christianity's simple prospect, right? It's a free gift. So she gets baptized, but uncle Robert wasn't there and he didn't do the baptizing. Then a few months later, she has a dream. It's really important to her. So much so that she writes a letter to Uncle Robert about it, her interpretation of it. He gives his interpretation. And so she has this dream about a month or two before she's met me. She's in a house. She's with the boyfriend, Chad, and there's a tiger on the loose. And the tiger is going to kill Paige if it can find her. She, for her part, just wants to know where it is, doesn't want to kill the tiger because the tiger represents strength and honor and respect, things that she admires in life. So he just wants to kind of control the tiger. Then the door opens to the house and a tall man walks in. But she can't see the face of the tall man. And the tall man is there to kill the tiger. And the tall man walks in. She hides. The boyfriend disappears. And she's worried about the tiger. And the tall man is there to kill the tiger. Okay, so in this long letter, Uncle Robert, you know, tries to pawn himself off as the tall man, even though he's 5'6". Remind you, I'm 6'5". And Uncle Robert has a face that Paige knows well. So he twists the dream, you know, lambasts her for getting baptized by a bunch of Pharisees without him, and then says the tiger is really Paige's ego. In other words, what we're saved from when we, become, when we become a Christian. So therefore, she's not saved, she's not a Christian, and he's the tall man there to save her. And I didn't realize it at the time. I thought, wow, it's really weird. Why would he try and pawn himself off as a tall man? But then 20 years later, after she had left me, after the Lord had opened my eyes and ears to how crazy this was, I found the original letter. And I hadn't seen it in 20 years. Paige had left it behind here in Montana when she had moved away. And I, I was stunned. I couldn't believe I had this original letter. And I remember telling a friend about it. And she instantly said, oh, I know what that dream means. And then, of course, so did I. It's so obvious, right? I, again, I'm six foot five. I come into her life. She can't see the face of the tall man because she hadn't met me yet. And then in real life, Chad, the boyfriend in the dream who disappears in the dream, I never saw him again. I met him one time, that singles Bible study, and he completely disappeared from our lives. So I do believe it was a dream that was given to Paige from the Lord as a warning. Hey, this guy is the tiger. Uncle Robert is the tiger that is going to ruin your life. You are being given a chance now to turn things around. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. The, the dream was obfuscated and turned on its head. And, uh, and then, you know, it led to disaster about 20 years later. So then the real turning point is you asked, you know, well, when did things turn bad? It really turned bad around 2015, where I finally caved and thought, oh, I must not be a Christian because Paige had doubted me all those years. I allowed Uncle Robert to quote unquote save me, although I knew it wasn't necessary now. And then two years after that, she left and it got really ugly.
really ugly really quick so is there still like you know even without her in your life because it seems like uncle robert and your wife were like that was kind of the tie-in you were always the outsider in that situation even though i'm sure you know uncle robert's like yeah bring another person in like let's make this a bigger group let's increase my sphere of influence so to speak when she left did he try to like maintain contact with you to like try and keep you around Yes. Again, yes and no. So when she left, um, I don't think it was orchestrated by him. You know, she had wanted him to be our marriage counselor of like a year or two prior. And I didn't think we needed a marriage counselor. I mean, I realized our marriage wasn't what I thought it was, let's say 10 years prior, but I certainly didn't think we needed a marriage counselor. And I was pretty sure every other marriage counselor on the face of the earth would say, Hey, Peter and Paige, if you want to strengthen your marriage, the number one thing you need to do first is get rid of uncle Robert. <laughs> So anyway, he's our marriage counselor, so to speak, for the last two years, and then she leaves. And I had been so brainwashed at that point. I thought it was all my fault. You know, whatever Paige and Uncle Robert wanted, I would do. I was trying to save it, you know, hoping that she would come back. So I didn't tell my family for four months that she had left me and taken our three youngest kids. We have five children. She took the three youngest with her up to Idaho to live with her parents. I didn't tell anybody where I lived, nobody in Montana. So for four months, I suffered alone. And at that point, I'm still convinced, because Uncle Robert telling me this, that I'm not a Christian. I'm a demonic soul. I'm tortured. I'm a fraud. And uh, so here it is. My wife has left me. And I couldn't sleep. I lost 30 pounds. I wasn't suicidal, but I was close. And I'm talking to one person on the phone. And it's Uncle Robert. And he is like the, the number one reason why we're in this mess. And um, so I would have these long conversations with him. He was convinced that I needed to hit rock bottom before I could finally hit rock bottom. Then the Lord would rescue me. And finally, I would give up the old Peter and become a new person. And of course, in order to hit rock bottom, he was going to get me there. So we're having these conversations where, you know, he is just destroying me mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And it was abuse. And for some reason, I felt like I needed it. And he was the only voice that I would listen to for a few months. And uh, it was horrendous. And then about that time, you know, Paige told the kids what was happening. And uh, the three younger children, well, she told all five. And then I met with them one-on-one, -on -one, again, like a month or two after she left. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. I wish you could do it all over again. Um, I take full responsibility. I love you and I love your mom. I'm just trying to calm the kids down so they're not scared, right? They're young. And then Paige, I told her what I had told the children. And she said, well, why did you tell them that you love me? I said, because I do. She said, no, you only thought you loved me. And oh, was she irate. Because if the kids know that daddy still loves mommy, well, then why did mommy leave daddy? That was a problem. She wasn't about to let this whole thing be, you know, because of her. So then uh, I then became a bloodline, a sperm donor, a devil, a sorcerer, a liar, Satan. And the kids believed it because they, you know, they probably feared their mom, but they trusted their mom and Uncle Robert and their grandpas are all saying the same thing. And it was it was horrible, which is it's abusive of children to tell them those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. But, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, your, your life has been shaken up for either one reason or another in this case, like suddenly moving separation from your siblings, separation from your father, all you know is that mom and the grandparents and this uncle of yours are all saying like no it's your dad's fault don't it's all his fault he's a bad person whatever it is 
you kind of just have to accept that because your opinion means nothing and you don't have the power to seek out any more information. You know, it's their worldview, right? How is the child's worldview shaped, you know, usually from their parents and then the family and the grandparents and all that. And so it was very clear to me after a while, now for the first few months, it wasn't, um, that there was this direct line of poison and hatred that went right from Uncle Robert into Paige, then into my children. And even though Paige has to be responsible for all the horrible things she said and, and did to me and to others, she is a victim as well, really. When you look at it, when you can take a, take a step back, she's a victim just like me, just like our children. She doesn't know it, though. And so there was this direct line of hatred from Uncle Robert and just the way that he you know, interpreted the Bible and life. Um, and of course, then Paige and her grandparents soaked it in, so did the kids. So then to the kids would say, you know, uh, the, you know, like one of the kids says, well, dad, if I was a devil, I would want someone to tell me, you know, this little child is telling me this, you know, I can look back now and it's like laughable, but tragic at the same time. And anyway, so my family intervened. So again, I was only brainwashed about, let's say two, three years. My family intervened and I finally called them four months later. Told them that you know my wife had left, taking the kids, didn't look good. And then I started to share with them, you know, some emails and letters that I were getting from Paige or Uncle Robert it would just send me into a tailspin. Like I, I just it was it was awful. And they would read these and they became alarmed instantly because they didn't know all these details. So finally they gave me this support and help I needed. We got attorneys and the courts eventually intervened, sent the kids back to me because they saw it. It was horrible. You know, that they recognized the little cult, they recognized. What's called parental alienation, where one parent tries to alienate the kids from another. And the guardian ad litem we had involved in our case, my lawyer and a family counselor said it was the worst case of parental alienation they've ever seen. Thankfully, my three younger children have, have recovered. They live with me full time now. But boy, they've been through a lot. Um, and, and now they still love their mom. They realize there's a problem. And I've been very clear with them about, you know, Uncle Robert. Was, you know, he's no longer uncle. He's Robert Booty. And um, and the one person who helped me see that cult was, I'm one of five kids, and so was Paige. And um, because of Uncle Robert, Paige's family, the Clausens, had been uh, split in two. You either were on the side of Uncle Robert and believed everything he said, or you did not. There was no Switzerland option, one or the other. So one of the siblings had pointed out 23 years ago. I don't think Uncle Robert is who he says he is. You know, he'd always been around the family since before the kids were born. I think he's a fraud and I think he's a danger to our family. So this was one of the sisters. Well, when that happened, the family split. So she and two other siblings shunned, ostracized, uh, gone for the last 23 years, out of our lives. We couldn't even say her name. Uh, she was the redhead, the sister. Wouldn't even say her name because she had the temerity and the wickedness to challenge Uncle Robert. So we were all very isolated. And uh, so there were cousins that my kids didn't even know existed. So when I finally became healthy and got the kids back, you know, I remember showing my children on my cell phone a picture of nieces and nephews that I had never met. But I had reached out to this sister-in-law, told her what was happening, because you know she'd been out of our lives for 17 years, told her that her sister left me and what was going on, and we had a good cry about it and all that. And uh, I'm showing these pictures to my kids. I said, do you know who this is? And they're like, no, I thought your cousin. Wide eyes, eyes as wide as saucers. They had aunts and uncles and cousins. They had no idea existed. And that is the power and the wickedness of cults. Yeah, I mean, you always hear like, 
once you're in, there's a way to keep you in. And part of that is this isolation or the shunning or, you know, things don't just suddenly become better. They're not like, oh, you want out? Oh, God, I guess you're out and there's nothing we can do about it. No, like there's there's always a way to try and keep you in to control you, because like you said, it's all about that control aspect. They have to control your mind. They have to control what you're doing, because if you're out suddenly, like the world's not so bleak everyone's not so mean like people aren't so critical well if you're out you are a threat so in other words uncle robert is brilliant right and oh by the way he's on to the jews right like he sees that they're they're the the conspiracy to control all the christians so thus uncle robert's life is in danger so thus shred all your trash don't say certain words on the cell phone we have to protect uncle robert's life so therefore there's the paranoia there's the secrecy. And since Uncle Robert is so brilliant, now we are special too, right? We're a part of something greater than ourselves. And of course, no one on the outside would get it, right? Like there's the, the Bible verse that talks about throwing your pearls before the swine. You know, if you share things that people aren't ready to hear, they're not going to accept it. Well, the rest of the world, Colton, you know, was the swine and we had the pearls. So of course, they're not ready to hear Uncle Robert's brilliance. But when you get on the outside and become healthy, you realize, well, no, it's because he's crazy. It's not nothing to talk about, you know, uh, pearls before the swine. So that's the danger then. If somebody goes out and then becomes healthy mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, this is utter nonsense. So therefore, then that person is a mortal threat to Uncle Robert and us, just like Paige's siblings became 20 years ago. That's now me. So you have to circle the wagons even tighter. Because those people on the outside can also now like see through the crazy and they can present real evidence that is a direct threat. So he's like, exactly. we got to cut these people out entirely because if you hear what they have to say, you might actually realize that my uh, my control over you is non-existent. Can I tell you another scary story? Yeah, absolutely. So our second son uh, was not born yet, but Paige was pregnant and this would be 2000. And this was the time when Rebecca, the younger sister, the redhead, was still in our lives. And Ed approached her parents and Paige and said, I do not think Uncle Robert is who he says he is. She shares some things about him, not criminal, but really creepy, kind of pseudosexual, weird. I don't think we should have anything to do with him. Here's what he did. Here's what he said. We should kick him out of our lives. And Paige briefly supported her sister, but then came to regret it very much so. So at 26 weeks, she went into the hospital in Pocatello. She was leaking amniotic fluid. And it was so serious when we got there in the middle of the night, the nurse who saw us said, you need to name this baby. As in, it's either going to get born or die. You, you got to have a name. So, uh, sorry, I got a little emotional. Um, she was on bed rest for six weeks. And uh, the doctors never figured out why she was leaking the amniotic fluid. But the baby survived. Uh, he was born at 32 weeks, severely underdeveloped with his lungs, nearly died, was in the ICU, grew up to be a Division One athlete, okay? So he's fine. But Paige knew why she was in the hospital. There in the hospital, after like maybe a day, she was convinced that the Lord was punishing her because she had not come to the aid and support and defense of Uncle Robert immediately. So think about it. She literally thought that God was going to kill our unborn son because she did not defend the good name of Uncle Robert. And she literally thought that. And so then shunned her sister and the other brothers who didn't believe her, viciously shunned them. And I remember being shocked. I could not believe that she actually thought that. And that shows you 
the mind control and the willingness for her to see him, maybe not as her savior, but really close. Yeah. I mean, to be so critical that even a, a slight against him could endanger, you know, your child's life, your life, everyone around you. Like that's a lot of, a lot of control to be giving to just this guy. You know, 16, 17 years later, I'll tell you another story. It's sad. Thankfully, nothing happened through it, but we had five kids and we talked about having a sixth and we would hopefully name him Matthew. And uh, Paige and I went out for a date one night, you know, the kids are at home and she got all dressed up. And even after all these years, I was still attracted to her. She was still beautiful, still lovely. We went to go get coffee and she told me about her burning desire to have another son. And I'm like, great. And then she tells me, this son is for somebody else. She was distraught because Uncle Robert had two sons. Those sons had married and had daughters, but they did not have a male heir to carry on Uncle Robert's precious bloodline. Uncle Robert is so important to world history and the kingdom of God here on earth that he had to have his bloodline continue with a male heir. So she wanted to be a surrogate and provide him with a male grandson do it in vitro with one of his sons. And I was stunned, hurt, aghast. I couldn't believe this. And uh, thankfully it never happened, but because I disagreed with it, you know, I became, you know, kind of further into the doghouse. And you know, Uncle Robert thought it was a great idea. So did she, no one else knew. We didn't tell anybody, but because I was not on board with it, it, it didn't go anywhere. The sick irony is that, you know, two, three years later, you know, she was, and Uncle Robert were saying that she had left me and thought I was a miserable father and husband. And they were warning me, you know, don't imprison your children in this biological prison. In other words, they're like, Peter, you're not the father. You're just a sperm donor in a bloodline. You're kind of worthless. And yet two years prior, you know, Uncle Robert's bloodline was precious. So it's... I look back and it's just astonishing the amount of mind control he had over us. It's amazing. Yeah. Is that one of those, like you said, once you got out of this mind control, you started reaching out, you kind of built your support network. Were there things that you were like, these are the the key pieces of a cult. If you were to identify them to someone out there who's like, I'm not in a cult. I just have a kooky uncle. You're like, here's a couple things. <laughs> You know, someone else wrote a really good book, Daniela Young. We're not related, but she was in an awful cult growing up. Um, I think it's called Family. She was overseas, came to America, got out, recovered, and then joined the army. And then like the first day at boot camp, she's like, did I just join another cult? And she makes the point in her book that there's a difference between cult and culture, which I think is brilliant because you could have a very strong, unhealthy culture. It's not a cult. Okay, There, there are two different things. Some people have a hard time with the word cult. Stephen Hassan wrote a great book combating uh, cult mind control. He calls it undue mind control. Because again, to me, that's that's all, um, all where it starts. And so if somebody is in the cult, again, they probably don't see it. So from the person on the outside, to try to answer your question, the biggest red flag would be if you have a friend, it's a cousin, it's a former college roommate, whatever it is, your buddy at church or your bowling league, who knows. And they all of a sudden start cutting off access um, and communication with all their traditional relationships, whether it's, you know, again, going to the weekly bowling league or 
phone calls or emails or showing up to family reunions and they cut stop all that. And they do mention whomever it is, you know, the crazy uncle. But the big red flag is that they start isolating themselves. That to me is the first red flag. Because again, unless you really dive in, it's hard to tell it's a cult. And remember, people live nearby us. You know, I was a sports broadcaster. We'd carry on our lives and nobody had any idea. It wasn't until we kept isolating ourselves further and further and further. And then when I came out and finally shared everything, that everyone saw it. But we were really good, and most cults are, I think, at keeping it hidden. Yeah, and is that like a self-imposed isolation that you're like, I wasn't told not to talk to these people. I just knew that they wouldn't get it. So I just decided like, you know, instead of telling people, I'm just going to keep this inside. And then you just kind of fold it on yourself. Well, that's a good question. Uh, How do I answer that? I would say for me, I knew without having to be directly told by Uncle Robert that there were some things, as in a lot of things, that we were not to share. So again, we would, for most of our marriage, we would go to church, but eventually we we left and and church members were vilified. Oh, it was just horrible. And those stories are in the book. Uh, Boy, they're hard to share, but it was awful the way we treated some of these people. But again, I I knew, you know, I knew that there was just some things you just do not share. How did I know that? It took a long time. And it was just obvious to me that if I did share certain things, A, I knew how people would react. They would say, well, Peter, this is nuts. And then B, I knew how Paige would react when she found out I had shared these things. Because, you know, protecting Uncle Robert was cause number one. Our marriage was cause number two, if that, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth thing on the list. So you, I just knew, I don't know if that answers your question well enough. I just knew. So was it self-imposed? Not really. Um, you know, Uncle Robert could probably plausibly deny it. So could Paige, but I, I wanted to share it. I remember I used to ask if Uncle Robert is so brilliant and his teaching so sublime, why aren't we inviting other people? And of course the obvious answer now is, well, cause it was nuts, but within the cult at that moment it was no they wouldn't get it and if you do that you're going to threaten uncle robert and if you do that you peter are in trouble (laughs) no i mean that makes total sense because you're like oh i could share this outside and at some point i do want to share it outside like i want to talk to other people about this but i entirely understand the relationship where you're like yeah but this is my wife this is the person i love more than anyone other than maybe my kids in the entire world and I'm not going to risk this relationship to have a conversation with someone else. There's just a scale on that that doesn't weigh out. And so you're like, okay, well, then it doesn't matter that I can't talk outside of it. It bothers me maybe a little bit, but not enough that I'm going to like, you know, fight this because it's a pretty easy decision for me to make. And I can entirely see that without, you know, having any other outside influence. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance that went on in my mind. And, and for you know the first, let's say, 10, 12 years of our marriage, it was not that difficult. Uh, but by the last three or four, it was very difficult. It was, I don't want to say torturous, but it was very uncomfortable, very hard. You know, I'm kind of living in two worlds, the outside world and then the inside world, um, the little cult. And so it was very difficult uh, to know what to say. And I couldn't reach out to anybody. You know, like I was desperate to you know be able to talk to somebody uh, about my situation. And I really couldn't because I, again, I knew what they would say. And of course, what they would say would be unacceptable to, to Paige and Uncle Robert. 
I used to have this analogy in my mind to try and help me with the cognitive dissonance. You know, if you ask Uncle Robert a question, he would never give you a straight answer, ever. I think usually because his answers or his theology was so nuts to say. I know that's not scientific. So then I would use the chocolate chip cookie analogy. So if you ask Uncle Robert for a chocolate chip cookie, instead of him giving you a cookie, he would give you the flour, the sugar, the butter, the chocolate chips, so that you could make the cookie yourself and not only have the answer, Peter, but the knowledge and wisdom to come up with the answer. Okay, that sounds really nice, but in reality, what I had after asking a question was this big gooey mess in my hand that I didn't know what to do with. <laughs> so that was my way like of my mind desperately trying to come up with a way to say, no, 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 Uncle Rock's not crazy, he's really brilliant. But I think deep down in my mind, I knew, no, he's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I asked for an explanation and I got a lot of word salad that had a lot of good sounding things in there, but if you wrote it down, would not make any sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Was there any kind of, you know, I've appreciated your time immensely. Is there any kind of advice or words of wisdom you put out there when you, you know, you talk about this just in case anyone listening is maybe in a situation and they don't even realize it? Sure. I think, again, the, the number one red flag or sign for those are listening that have a loved one that they suspect are in an in, improper in relationship would be the cutting off of communication with loved ones and friends. That's the number one sign. And then, you know, other lessons I think I can share from my life, which are very hard for the person who's going through it, but still they are lessons to be learned. They're warning signs. Number one, a strong marriage should have Christ in the center, not a parent, not a child, not a friend, certainly not the family guru. Those people, counselors, that's, that's fine. You can have those people help from the outside, but nobody should get in between the husband and the wife. Number two, when you cut off relationships and close communication and fellowship with other people, then you isolate yourself and you become susceptible for the David Koresh, the Jim Jones, or the Uncle Robert, the false teacher. You need to have good, strong relationships. To me, that should be strong Christian relationships. But even if it is, again, the bowling league, the book club, something to where you're not completely isolated. And then with Christian theology, I'll just add in this. Salvation comes before sanctification. So again, the foundation of Christianity is it's a free gift, right? You can't earn it. You can't earn your way to heaven. If you could, we wouldn't need Jesus. So you're sa saved. You get salvation. Sanctification is where you grow and mature, and you have to do that afterwards. You can't do it before. And anybody who tries to tell you that is trying to act as a gatekeeper to God. In other words, you can only get saved through Uncle Robert or, get, or David Koresh or Jim Jones or whomever. That is unbiblical, and it's wicked. I hope that helps. Yeah. No, I think that's all very good. And I've, like I said, I've appreciated your time immensely coming on the show. I was hoping to you know, also give you some time to plug the book and where people can find you if they're looking for more. Yeah, thank you. So um, again, I did write a um, a novel about faith and basketball called The Blue Team, but the most re recent book that, of course, we've been talking about is my memoir. It's called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And you can get both of those books on Amazon. And I do have a website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. I've got a YouTube channel, Author Peter Young. Uh, I love to read. I do these little two-minute book reviews. So I've got over, I think, over 80 videos on my YouTube channel. So you can go check those out. Yeah, awesome. And I'll put some links to those in the, the show notes for this. So if people feel they can just scroll down, click them, check them out. If they do buy these books, I always say, please leave good reviews. It's so important to people that are authors or creators like that they get these good reviews because that's what the entire algorithm is running on 
even if you're like, oh, I told 60 friends and we all bought copies. Like if no one left a review, you would be surprised how little impact that has. Yeah, reviews are huge. Yeah. So yeah, thank you very much for that plug. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for being here. You bet. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Colton. I hope none of you are in any cults right now, small or large. If you are, stop it. Come on, stop that. And if you're the godhead figure running a cult currently, hit me up. That would be a fascinating interview and might go nicely towards completing a full religion episode series for the show. (laughs) It's also just about the last week of May, and here's the rankings so far. Number one, the United States with Texas, Oregon, and Arizona as top states. Number two, Canada with Ontario still dominating. Number three, Australia with Victoria way at the top. Number four, the United Kingdom. And number five, Sweden, now led by Stockholm. That's it for today. Have a great week, and hopefully I'll see you all back here on Thursday. To be quite honest, there's been some scheduling issues, and I may or may not have something ready for you. Either way, please do all that good stuff for the show, like rate, review, like, and subscribing. Dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any social media if you want to reach out to me. Most importantly, stay dumb.